G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. On Mondays, we ordinarily will check in with the Australian Christian Lobby and Martin Isles, the Managing Director of the ACL, with us once again. Martin, a special welcome back to 2020. G'day, Neil. Good to be back. Hey, Martin, the starting gun, it has been fired. The Prime Minister's called the federal election the 21st of May, and... I did say in the introduction, it's possible that there might be a lot of undecided voters who are Christians. Any thoughts about Christians and the 21st of May? We're going to be talking about that through this hour. But uh, Christians find themselves in a little bit of a quandary. Not so easy to decide which side to vote for. I think uh, I think it is harder than ever, Neil. Uh, I'm not one of these people that says it's the most important federal election ever. There's always someone saying at every federal election, but it is one of the most challenging, and I don't think I'm alone in thinking that. Um, there is a palpable sense from our supporters of a desire for some support and knowing how to place their vote. Um, there is significant disillusionment with the Christian credentials of the government and the way that that has played out over the last three years. In fact, they've been responsible for the passage of a whole host of policies, um, which you would expect from sort of a, a much less uh, a, a government that claims to have far fewer Christian credentials, everything from uh, sort of these queer education programs in schools through to the uh, last minute lapse of the religious discrimination bill and uh, even some really uh, problematic policies from a pro-life perspective, uh, including the passage of uh, these laws for this complicated research area called mitochondrial donation, which destroys embryos and all the rest of it. And, you know, I could go on. There's probably about 15 items in that list. And people are disillusioned, uh, but then they say, well, will it be worse uh, if the government were to change? Uh, or are there any minor parties that are, that are worth putting our vote behind. Uh, I think everyone's in that state of confusion, Neil. And I would say this, uh, being someone who works in politics all the time uh, and gets sort of a close-up feel and look at what's going on in the major and the minor parties and the parliaments, the, the problem I see is that we're in a situation where we have, uh, to use a biblical metaphor, wheat and tares in all of the parties. Uh, and what I mean by that is that there are good guys and bad guys in all of the parties. And the big problem is that too many of the bad guys are empowered to do what they like in those parties, uh, whereas the good guys are sort of silenced. And they're silenced by the media, which is very loud and shrill in support of a lot of more socially progressive and anti-Christian policies. Um, and also because... There's this strange dynamic where the people who stand up for what is right and what is good all the time and stick their neck out, they can sort of expect come election time for a really robust campaign to be run against them in their electorate. 
So you get these activist groups. Some people might have heard of Get Up. Some people might have heard this time around of Climate 200. Uh, and they put volunteers in their electorates and distribute flyers and you know give them a real hard time. And so during the term of the parliament, these guys are very reluctant to stick their neck out for stuff that is good and right. Uh, and so they're silenced. And what we've got is this wheat and tares problem in the Liberals, the Labour, everywhere, uh, and, and even in the minor parties too, that's important to note. And too many of the bad guys are empowered and too many of the good guys are disempowered. That's actually the problem that we have. And so what it means is that uh, people, it's, it's not an easy vote. People are going to actually have to do some research and find out among the, the, the individuals on their ballot paper, who are the wheat and who are the tares. Forget about the party. Just forget about it is all I would say. You've got some real bad eggs in the Liberal Party. You've got some real good eggs in the Labor Party and vice versa, and you've got some real bad eggs in the minor parties and some real good eggs in the minor parties. The thing is, it's, the, it's one of the hardest votes we've ever done because it's going to require a little bit of homework on behalf of everybody to find out who are the names on their ballot, are they people with a good track record, with good convictions, good values, or not? That's the question. I just want to say that again. It's not parties, it's people. Look at the names, do the background research and vote for people, no matter what colour they're wearing, no matter what flag they're flying, go for people. Martin, some are thinking it's easier to vote for the party than it is for the person, because if I'm going to vote for the person, it means I've got to do a little bit of personal research. Now, no doubt you've got a research team that's going to be highlighting the backgrounds and the way they've voted for basically every candidate uh, in the election. And uh, we might talk about what sort of research and what sort of resources uh, people will be able to access from the ACL. But for a lot of people, they hear, oh, there's an election on. It's on the 21st of May. I'll just go along with the flow and all the media that I consume is going to shape the way that I feel. And when I cast my vote, that's the way I feel on the day. Is that good enough? Yeah, look, it really isn't good enough this time. Uh, And I just want to make this point. Uh, The consequences of people's votes uh, in the parliament are very, very profound. Uh, You have a real contest at the moment between light and dark in the nation's parliament, good and evil. Uh, There are people who are really trying to change the social fabric of the nation in ways that are not biblical, in ways that are not Christian, uh, now, it's easy for me because I, 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 I know all the people involved and I know what's going on and most people are removed from it. Uh, but what I would say is it's really time people uh, put some effort into understanding a little bit of what's going on, at least in relation to the candidates who are running in their area. Uh, it's really, really important that Christians start to be wise um, and start to understand the individuals uh, in the political system, especially those for whom they have to vote, uh, rather than just, you know, say, oh, I like the sound of his name or, you know, oh, well, I saw his face on TV one bloke or, oh, well, my parents always voted this way. Uh, it's just not good enough. I mean, in, um, in Scripture, it says that, you know, those who are in governing authority uh, are, got, are ministers of God's righteousness. That's, the, that's what they're called to. That's what Romans 13 says. Uh, and that's the standard by which they will be judged by God. 
Uh, and it's unusual in a democratic system like we have today. There is an opportunity for us to cast judgment as well. And I don't think that we should, um, we should take that responsibility lightly. Uh, of course, ACL will be putting out uh, resources to help people make these judgments uh, and to help people gain a better understanding of certain candidates. We will particularly be doing some highlights and lowlights. Um, and uh, and that, that should provide some really... I mean, there's no need to stress. We've got four weeks, but people need to start thinking about it now and, and, and we will be putting out materials to help them. Of course, in any election campaign these days, as you said, uh, there's oftentimes a series of movements that are working for their side of the political agenda. And you mentioned organisations like GetUp or there might be big uh, billionaire financiers who are funding all sorts of left-wing and uh, anti-Christian policies uh, on one side of politics uh, versus another. And sometimes those who are on a more conservative side with a Christian foundation have wondered, uh, where are the dollars, uh, where are the numbers that are supporting the Christian side? I just uh, honour to the Australian Christian lobby here because you've had an accumulation over these past three years since the last election and the membership has grown, the capacity and the strength of the ACL has grown. Can you in a just a little, uh, just a snapshot here for us, Martin, what the Australian Christian lobby looks like because uh, you've grown from strength to strength? Yeah, that's true, Neil. We've been very blessed. Um, God's been very good to us, and lots of things have happened that have been exciting over the last few years that have caused us to grow, uh, and a lot of it's been very intentional. Uh, we have, well, certainly I um, started in this role in February 2018, uh, and the first thing uh, I decided to try and resolve was this problem that you highlighted, which is that, you know, when it comes to campaigning, when it comes to campaign infrastructure, you know, people are familiar with an election campaign. They're familiar with the, the volunteers knocking on the doors. They're familiar with the flyers going into the letterboxes, the billboards that are up uh, all around, the television commercials that run, uh, all of that, the, the, the robocalls, as they're called, you know, where you get voice uh, recorded uh, messages coming through to your telephone um, when you get all that, what they call campaign activity, um, that is extremely powerful at swaying people's vote. And that's why the parties do it. And that's why they spend so much money on it and why they're so keen to get it done. And Neil, you highlighted a problem, which is, well, you've got the political parties doing it. But the other problem you have is that there's a couple of what they call third party campaigners doing it as well. So they're not political parties, but they're running campaigns which have the effect of supporting one party or another or one candidate or another. One of those big groups is called GetUp. Um, they're not very active this time because they went too far in the last election and they told some lies and did some terrible things and they lost their reputation a bit. So they've gone quiet. But the money that was funding GetUp, and I'm quite sure it must be the same money, uh, is now funding other organisations that are doing a slightly different thing. But, you know, people might have heard of Climate 200. Uh, they might have heard of these independent candidates that are running that aren't true. Uh, they're actually there for other purposes and so on. So all this campaign activity is running. And what, what that has done is that uh, people who are really solid on strong values, so, so people who support religious freedom, people who support Christian schools, People who might be uh, pro-life, 
people who uh, want to make sure that the education system is free of, um, you know, the queer education programs or, uh, you know, really strong uh, left-wing radical content. You know, these good people, they actually live in fear of these campaigns. I've had politicians say to me, if I do that, I'll have a massive get-up campaign in my electorate come the next election. And they're, they're afraid of it, and, and it shuts them up, and it stops them doing good things because they think, whew, I'm going to have to pay for that. All that's going to cost me. Um, and the big hole has been uh, an organisation that can run campaigns that isn't from that far left side of the political spectrum or an organisation at least that has strong Christian foundations to be able to run those campaigns. And you're right, Neil, we've been building the infrastructure to do that uh, we've gained, um, well, we've now got over 7,700 active volunteers, which I would challenge any organisation in the country to um, demonstrate that they have that many actual volunteers who are prepared to put things in letterboxes, make the phone calls, do all of the activism. Uh, that's an extraordinary thing. Uh, we've got 200, over 250,000 supporters now, uh, which again makes us... Well, just about um, the biggest political organisation in the country. Um, we've been we've been saving up money as well, knowing the federal election is coming, and we've got the funds to deploy to do some of these campaigning efforts in key seats, particularly where we've got really problematic candidates or really good ones, uh, so we can highlight those things to the vote public. Uh, and our campaign is not so much targeted at our supporters. We're not just speaking to the choir. This is a field campaign. It's a grassroots campaign with the techniques I described earlier where we're reaching out into the community. We're putting things in other people's letterboxes. We're putting calls through to other people's phones. We're telling the community at large about issues like Christian schooling, religious freedom, etc., that are simply not present in the media cycle that people, that voters otherwise wouldn't know about. Uh, and we're using those issues, all of a sudden highlighting the good performance of good people and the bad performance of bad people, and actually holding them to account for things they never thought they'd be held to account for. Uh, and we're hoping that that will change the dynamics in some of these key seats. And we'll talk some more about money as our conversation continues, but you've got a campaign and you're building a $1 million federal election fund uh, and that's going to be, as you say, for the public at large, in the mainstream. And uh, when listeners will recall at times when Christians got serious about money and uh, getting behind uh, major campaigns, remembering the Israel Folau fa- campaign, and uh, and uh, and you guys took on some uh, some funding for that, and uh, and you basically had to say to the Christian community, stop giving. Uh, there were millions and millions of dollars. You know, stop giving. You know, you're not allowed to give any more. Uh, when the Christians get behind a financial uh, campaign that you're now looking at, um, there is there is clout there. There's muscle there in the Christian community mm. to be able to reflect the sort of values we're talking about today. That is absolutely right, Neil, uh, and I want people to understand that. I think a lot of people feel quite alone uh, and a lot of people feel like they're the dying minority. 
but it was interesting. We did the the Truth of It live tour last year and got around to some of these, uh, to most of the capital cities and lots and lots of towns. Uh, and it was just astonishing. To, well, it was just so exciting to see the atmosphere when, when people would show up at an auditorium uh, in their local town or city uh, and they would see thousands of people just like them. <laughs> they just about fall over, you know, and the excitement that that generated was astounding. And, of course, what's happened is that people have started to believe that they are alone or that it's just them and a few others. Uh, look, I'm here to tell you, I'm in a privileged position where I travel around and I do these events and we go and meet people. There are just hundreds, hundreds of thousands, if not, you know, that might be very conservative, of people who really do believe uh, that in all the things that, that traditional Christians believe in, and they're out there. The thing is, they just need to be activated. They need to find their voice. They, they need to have uh, they need to have someone to lead them. You know, that's sort of the, the situation that we're in. Um, and I will say this: we've seen key moments in the last three years or so, where when these people have come together to take a stand. Uh, there's been an impact. Uh, one was the Israel Folau matter, Neil, as you said. And of course, the result of that case was that Israel Folau won. Now, I know, I'm absolutely confident that if it wasn't for the public outpouring of support, if it wasn't for the fact that the lawyers knew that behind him was $2.2 million donated by uh, tens of thousands of Christian folk across the country, uh, if all of that hadn't happened, the outcome would have been different. I'm confident of that. Another example, and there's many of them, but another example, interestingly, was just when we tried to go to Western Australia for this Truth of It Live tour, the West Australian government um, locked us out of their venues and said, ah, you can't come and use any WA government venues, which is all the good ones, by the way. You can't come and use any of our venues, our auditoriums, our theatres, because your views don't accord with our views. That's literally what what they said. You don't agree with the West Australian state government, so you can't speak here. Uh, And again, there was just another moment where all of our WA supporters just stood up all at once. And when that, you know, that's not good enough. It's 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 the you know it's the Chinese Communist Party that says you disagree with the government, therefore you get deplatformed. That's not how democracies work. You need it's different here. And so people stood up in large numbers, and they sent all these messages to the minister uh, who was responsible for that, the minister for the arts, David Templeman. Uh, there was a concern, and a week later, the government completely backtracked, overturned its decision and said, yeah, you can come in, no problem. Rebook the venues, no restrictions. You know, those sorts of things I've seen many times, and I'm absolutely confident that with, you know, 7,700 volunteers, uh, with the supporters uh, right across the country, again, if Christians stand together, uh, there can be a very big impact here. Uh, And of course, it's up to us to have a good strategy. Uh, and to help people, you know, uh, do things that, that, that support that good strategy. Uh, but if the strategy is good and the people support it, I'm confident there'll be a big impact. Well, Martin Isles is our guest, and we're continuing our conversation in just a few moments. I want to open our talkback line. You might be listening to what we're talking about today. You might have your own contribution. You might have a question or a comment. You might even be dismayed 
at the things that Martin Isles is saying. You might want to stand in some level of solidarity. You might want to encourage other Christian believers so that this is not a time uh, to just go with the flow. Well, 1-800-316-316 is our number. 1-800-316-316. You can have your say in just a few moments. Back more with Martin Isles, Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. It's acl.org.au. Be able to keep up to date with their thoughts about what's coming for the election. Back with more in a moment. The Holy Spirit has come to convict us of our sin. Coming up today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie points out that the Holy Spirit points us to the Saviour and points out our need for a Saviour. Before we can appreciate the solution, we have to see the real problem, so we need to be convicted by the Spirit because there's no conversion without conviction. So God has sent His Holy Spirit to convince us of our sins. This afternoon at 4 Western, 5.30 Central and 6 Eastern, then on demand in the Vision app and at vision.org.au slash podcasts. You are invited to the Easter Celebration Conference from April 30th to May 1st from 2 to 9pm. This free event has something for everyone at the University of Southern Queensland. Featuring the Tent of Promise, live music, testimonies, worship, prayer, children's choir, puppets and much more. Come for prayer, expect a miracle, bring your friends. For more information, Facebook search Toowoomba Gospel Festival Easter Celebration. That's Toowoomba Gospel Festival. Station sponsor. If you know which is the action end of a soldering iron and your idea of a good time is curling up by the fireplace with a good spectrum analyzer, then you could be the broadcast technician slash engineer we're looking for. Vision Christian Media is looking for an experienced tech to join our broadcast operations team. Brisbane-based, but involving some travel, this full-time paid position is more than a job. It's a ministry opportunity. If you think you're the tech we're looking for, apply now at vision.org.au slash jobs. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. Our special guest this hour is Martin Isles. He's Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. The Prime Minister has fired the starting gun. There will be a federal election on the 21st of May and Christians are seeing things a little differently to the mainstream. In fact, Martin, why don't we take a call or two and uh, just uh, let listeners uh, help to guide our conversation today. Let's take a call from Michael, who is in Melbourne. Hi, Michael. Welcome. Good morning, Neil. Um, Good morning, Martin. My question just follows on from, Martin, your most recent edition of The Truth of It. Uh, Over the weekend, I saw you were talking about religious freedom in the context of the election, and you said that you support religious freedom but not for comfort's sake. You support it so Christians can bring the truth to people so they can come to a knowledge of the truth. Does that mean that, in your opinion, the government should deny religious freedom to non-Christian religions because they are trying to bring untruth and falsehood to people? Or would you say everyone should get it regardless? Good thoughts there. Martin? Yeah, good question, Michael. Uh, And my view is that the government shouldn't deny religious freedom to non-Christian groups because then you get into a situation where the government is actually the arbiter of truth in a sense that's unhealthy. 
which is that they are starting to decide what can and can't be said right down to the very last detail of, of prescribing opinions on issues about life and meaning and all this kind of stuff. That's just not the government's job. Um, and in fact, that leads very quickly to tyranny, which is why I'm very grateful for the practical system that we have in Australia, which is a liberal democratic system, uh, which is a system that allows uh, people to uh, actually have these discussions from all sides of the fence, and I have great confidence in truth. I think that truth is exposed by analysis. And so I want that analysis to take place in society. And I think the people that came up with this system of government were geniuses, partly for this reason. They knew that tyranny didn't work. <laughs> it just is not a, 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 a way to run a country that has, um, that has good outcomes. Um, and the thing is that we, we have this paradigm in which uh, truth can be sharpened uh, and truth can stand and truth can be debated uh, and people can have these arguments. And I have confidence. You know, I think it is, in fact, lies that can't stand analysis because analysis will expose them as lies. And that's where cancel culture really comes from. Um, you know, there is the shutting down of opinions in ways that are draconian uh, and in ways that very often... Uh, done by the government uh, in an overstep of its power. Uh, and it is because it's very often protecting uh, what can't be protected in its, what can't protect itself because it's not true. So uh, I'm very happy with the system of government that we have. I think it's a blessing to us. And I think it's more practical in light of the way people reason out truth and come to conclusions. So, yeah, uh, I, I, that, that would be my take on that. Michael in Melbourne, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to be part of our conversation today, 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Rabinia is in Bunbury in WA. Hi, Rabinia. Welcome. Good morning. Rabinia, turn your radio down in the background. <laughs> Rabinia, we got you. Good morning. Thank you very much for being there. Look, my concern is the little kids in school, the little grade, grade ones and, and even the preschool, the little boys are being taught they can be girls and the little girls are being taught they can be boys. This is going to confuse them and it's going to destroy the next generation and nobody seems to be talking about it. Well, we've been talking about it, Rabinia, and uh, you've got the ear of Martin Isles. Martin, what are your thoughts for Rabinia? Yeah, well, we're going to be using that uh, some of that messaging around some of our campaigns, uh, particularly in some seats where we know there are people who stand really firmly against that kind of stuff. Um, and we will be putting uh, leaf. You know, over in WA, for example, you've got a guy uh, in Andrew Hastie that is on the record. Um, uh, very strongly opposing that kind of thing in the seat of Canning. Uh, we'll be informing everyone in his electorate uh, that he stands uh, for uh, the lack of that ideology in schools. Here's the other thing. Um, this is part of the reason we're running another part of our campaign, which is to protect Christian schooling, because it's mainly Christian schools that resist this kind of stuff. Um, and therefore, the protection of Christian schooling is, is very important, not just because uh, Christian schools are places where the gospel is um, spoken, uh, but also they are places where usually uh, the worst aspects of this ideology are kept out. Uh, and there were several Liberal MPs who voted in the Parliament in February to remove federal laws 
that allow Christian schools to uh, protect, to, to teach what they believe on this stuff, uh, which is pretty MPs. And that's why we will be telling their electorates the truth about what they did. That's Dave Sharma in Wentworth in Sydney, Trent Zimmerman uh, in North Sydney, uh, Fiona Martin uh, in the seat of um, Reed, also in New South Wales, uh, Bridget Archer in the seat of Bass uh, down in uh, Tasmania, uh, and also Rebecca Sharkey, who's not a member of the coalition. She's a crossbencher, but the seat of Mayo in South Australia. So we're going to be telling the public um, you know, 30% of whom send their children to um, uh, non-government schools, what they did in order to protect those Christian schools. So this is a, this is a key part of what we do, um, and um, I totally agree uh, with what's been said there. Rabinia, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. You can have your say today. You might have a question or a comment. Uh, you might uh, just want to express your express your feelings about uh, what's going on. Just uh, stay on this for a few moments because uh, for some people, the gender ideology that's being taught in schools and at an increasingly young age, Martin, uh, there is a sense here, as soon as you start to teach children about sexual orientation in those younger years, aren't you just sexualizing those kids? Some people are aligning that with the even the thought that that's actually the same as grooming. Isn't that what pedophiles do to groom children? Is that a fair enough way to, to, to talk about what governments are endorsing? Well, I've got to say it's very strange to me uh, the concept that anybody would have any desire whatsoever to speak to a child at the age of five, six, seven, eight about things like sexual orientation. Um, I, I don't understand it. Uh, I think it's just one of the most inappropriate things I've ever heard of. Uh, and um, to, I think a teacher that does that should be fired. <laughs> you know, it's just insane. Um, now, sadly... And what we're seeing in the government school system is more and more programs and resources that reach into younger and younger age groups, um, which talk about concepts which are, well, frankly, they're deeply harmful. Um, let's just call it out how it is. Uh, for example, and, and, and this is one of the, my great enduring disappointments with this present government. This is the Morrison government. The Morrison government allocated $7 million of funding to a, the development of a brand new program called the Good Society. The Good Society is a comprehensive curriculum for early primary. Uh, it starts at least, yeah, five-year-olds. It starts at five-year-olds and it goes all the way up to year 12. And this uh, entire program, uh, named blandly the Good Society, but effectively what it does is it deconstructs gender. Uh, and so you have got um, children in sort of year one, two, three, uh, starting to talk about the concept of uh, sex assigned at birth, as they say. So in other words, they start to get the idea that if they're a boy, well, that's just what they were assigned when they were born, but they don't have to stick with it. You know, their, their gender identity could be something else. So that concept gets introduced really quite young. Um, you know, other things they might do is talk about what it feels like to dress up like a girl if they're a boy. 
and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's hair-raising things for parents because it's starting to introduce children uh, to this idea that they might not be their biological sex or that they might have some control over, over how they express themselves that way. Uh, and we all have great sympathy for genuine cases of gender dysphoria when there is great psychological discomfort experienced by a child because there is a confusion about how they identify, well, how they feel on the inside uh, and what they are on the outside. But up until five minutes ago, figuratively speaking, just a few years ago, that was the rarest of phenomena. It was so, 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 so rare. In fact, I spoke to a paediatrician uh, who has been a paediatrician, uh, he's been a, a leading paediatric doctor for about over 50 years. Uh, and he said that he and several colleagues got together with a combined experience of nearly a thousand years uh, in paediatrics. And they sat down and said, how many children did we see with gender dysphoria over the course of the last 50 odd years uh, before this latest craze? And they came up with, I think, six or seven examples over that entire period. So what's happened is that this material is being put in education curricula. It's being put in popular culture. It's being put out through media. And it's getting inside the heads of young people. And then their peers are transitioning, or socially transitioning at least, and that puts the idea in their head even more because friends are doing it or other kids in the school are doing it. And we are seeing a tsunami of gender dysphoria, the like of which has never been seen, and we're seeing children going on hormones at rates of increase of thousands of percentage points over the last four years or so in gender clinics around Australia. This is the danger uh, and this is the uh, moral outrage, the level of moral outrage that should be attached to what is going into schools. And it is very hard to find politicians who care one jot about it. Um, and that's the sadness. And that's why we have to highlight those who have done the wrong thing on this. But also, we'll be highlighting those who are on the record standing up uh, for what is right on this. And I've already mentioned Andrew Hastie, for example, over in Western Australia, because we need to inform the public about this stuff. I, I don't think that the average person still knows that this is going on, that this is a thing. But I also want to point out that we can't take, you know, the, the coalition government for granted. Um, they put $7 million of funding into this program, which is astonishing to me, which is why can't just vote for the parties, which is why we need to make sure we're looking at the individuals. We need to find the individuals who are responsible for that $7 million of funding. And we need to make sure that if they are on our ballot, it doesn't matter what party they're in, they do not get uh, voted for. So who do we vote for when neither side is prepared to protect our children? Well, 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Gary is in Tamworth in New South Wales. Hi, Gary. Welcome. Thank you very much. I just want to ask one question. The preferences, uh, being an older Australian, we worry so much about the preferences. So where does Martin's preferences go? Good thought here, Gary, because uh, if you decide to vote for an independent or if there's no one on your ballot form that you think is worthy of voting for, you may actually be uh, sending your vote down a uh, rabbit warren trail that might end up where you don't want it to be. Uh, Martin, your thoughts for Gary? 
Yeah, look, I think it's important that we control our own preferences. So don't just uh, put the preferences down that are on the how to vote cards that you're given when you go to the polling booth. Um, Come up with your own uh, and decide how you want to order the different candidates. Um, Don't just copy someone else's homework. Um, And there's a few points to be made on this. Uh, The first one is that... If you're casting your lower house vote, so everyone knows you've got your small ballot, which is for the House of Representatives, you're electing your local MP on that ballot, your representative area, and then you've got the big Senate ballot, which is the great big white piece of paper, and you're putting senators in the upper house there, and they're they're people who represent the entire state. But on your lower house ballot, that smaller document that represents your local MP, that elects your local MP, Unless you are, you know, one in a hundred electorates in this country, you are going to end up electing a Liberal or a Labor MP or a National or a Coalition or Labor. could be a National. So Coalition or Labor MP on that ballot. A lot of people are saying, ah, I'm going to stick it to them. I'm going to punish them. On this ballot, I'm going to vote one, one nation, two, Palmer United Party, three, Joe Bloggs, the Independent, for the Greens, you know, and they're going to go down the list and they say, ha, oh, I voted Liberal and Labor last. Well, here's the thing. Whichever one of those two you put first is going to matter because it's very likely your vote will go to one of those two. <laughs> no matter how low down the limit down the list you put them, because you're going to get a coalition or a Labor MP, unless you live in Kennedy, where Bob Catter is the local MP, or you live in Denison, down in uh, the Hobart area, where Andrew Wilkie is the MP. But there's about, oh, Adam Bant, the Greens MP for Melbourne. There's like four or five of those out of 151 electorates. Very, very, very rare. So by all means, have a crack. But here's the thing. Whether, even if you put Liberal second last and Labor last, that matters. It means you'll probably be voting Liberal this election. Or if you put Labor second last, Liberal last, it means you're probably going to be voting Labor. That's on your lower house ballot. Your house, it's the little green one. That's, that's going to be the way that it is. You get a lot more uh, flexibility for wild cards and uh, minor parties and all the rest of it in the Senate, the big white ballot. Um, and on the big white ballot, my point to people is to say, look, Try and vote below the line. So there's a big black line that runs across that white ballot. Uh, And above the line is the names of all the political parties. And below the line is the names of all the individuals who are running for the Senate. Not the parties, but the actual people. And the reason this is important is because, well, let's say you're in Queensland. And let's say you have your big white Queensland Senate ballot. And you could put one above in the LNP box, the Liberal National Party. And then you could put two in the, you know, One Nation box because you like Pauline Hanson. And then you could put three and so on. You could do that. But what you're actually doing when you do that is you're asking the Liberal National Party to decide who to elect from its cohort. You're asking One Nation, you're asking Labour, you're asking uh, the Greens to decide which individuals to elect from their pool. I say take more control. You choose the individuals. Don't let them choose them. Because here's the thing. On the Queensland ballot, let's stick with the Liberal National Party example. Number two and number... The the second and third candidates that they have are both Christians. Senator Matt Canavan is second in the Liberal National Party pool. He's a Christian. Uh, Amanda Stoker, Senator Amanda Stoker, she's third. She's a Christian, right? 
Number one is James McGrath. He's no Christian. And so you might say, I'd actually like to vote for the Christian. All right, well, don't put the one in the Liberal National Party box. You want to put the one next to the individual's name. You want to put it next to Matt Canavan or Amanda Stoker or whoever else on that ballot you know has got really strong values, uh, whether it be in, you know, in any party at all. That's just an example. So choose the people. It really matters. Because if you're choosing the parties, well, the party gets a little bit of control. They love it when you do that, by the way. They want to have the control. <laughs> but you want to take more control of your vote. Vote for the individuals and do your research on them first. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our special guest this hour is Martin Isles. He's the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. As you'll know, the Prime Minister has fired the starting gun. There will be a federal election on the 21st of May. We're talking about Christians and voting today. 1-800-316-316. The election is on the way. Just picking up on some things that might flow on from where we were with those last calls. Uh, talking about preferential voting and for some people that's just uh, it's baffling, Martin. For a lot of people, it's almost their uh, their tradition that if they don't know who to vote for, they'll just put in a donkey vote. Uh, their vote won't mean anything. They'll just uh, they'll draw a picture on there, or they'll number it wrongly, just so they can say, "Well, I've been there and I've done my duty. I've voted, but I know my vote won't count for anything because hey, I heard on the radio the Christian guys were saying neither side's worth voting for." What are your thoughts here about making your vote count? Yeah, it's a good question, Neil. My my real concern in this context is that people will unknowingly walk into the uh, the ballot box and they'll have a ballot that's sitting in front of them. And, you know, I've got an advantage because I work in this field, but their ballot is very likely to contain a couple of really solid people on it. You know, their ballot is likely to have a couple of really sincere Christians, whether that be on their Senate ballot in the Liberal Party or whether it be on their you know, lower house ballot in one of the independents uh, or, or wherever those names are. The fact is that pretty much everyone has at least a couple. I mean, you'd be amazed how many Christians there actually are in the parliament. It's quite surprising once you find out. Uh, and you look at that ballot and here's the problem. If that person does a donkey vote, you know, I want to throw my hands up in the air and say, what have you done? That person needed your vote because we're in, we're in such short supply of good conviction politicians who will stand on what's right. And the donkey vote just, it just diddles them out of the support that they need. Uh, That's my really big concern, you know. That said, you know, there are some contexts in which, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm indifferent. You know, for example, I'll give a personal example here, and the vast majority of listeners will not be in my electorate uh, in the Australian Capital Territory because this is a bit of a secularist paradise here. Uh, and I say that uh, uh, not seriously, but it's very secularist. Uh, and, uh, but, but in my situation, you know, on my lower house ballot, so electing my local MP, I know that, look, my vote really isn't going to make any difference in that respect because this is one of the safest Labor seats in the country that I happen to live in. Uh, You know, it's a foregone conclusion that the Labor MP will be elected, all right? So 
you know, I'm not as concerned about that ballot because I know how it's going to work out, although there's always unusual things happen. But also, funnily enough, that Labor person has some Christian sympathies, it turns out, so that's interesting. So, you know, but anyway, I'm not going to have a whole lot of control there. But I know, for example, that I am going to have an impact in the Senate, in the upper house. So on my big white ballot paper, you know, I can't spoil that ballot because I look at it and there is a name on there. There's a bloke who is the senator for the Australian Capital Territory. His name is Zed Seselja. Uh, his record on so many things is so impressive. He represents one of the most progressive and secularist jurisdictions in Australia. And yet he was really strong on same-sex marriage. He was he has stood up and fought when it came to the issue of euthanasia. Uh, he's a pro-life guy. You know, he's been very strong on religious freedom and Christian schools, which have been the presenting issue earlier this year. And he's done that at some cost to his reputation locally. And I'm sitting there going, that guy needs support. And I just pray that there's no Christians in the ACT who are walking into the ballot box and saying, oh, it's all too hard, and spoiling the ballot. Because I'm thinking, man, if we're not supporting these good people, who is? Uh, They need our support. I just say to people, please don't be rash in that regard. Please just put in a bit of extra effort to find out who it is on your ballot and who needs your support. Ignorance is an enemy when it comes to the sort of election that we've got coming up. Hey, we're taking calls, and uh, we're just about four and a half minutes out from news. And uh, good news is uh, Martin's said he's available for a little longer after the news. So we've got some calls here. Let's see if we can get through these fairly quickly. Alex is in Melbourne. Alex, what are your thoughts? Yes, hello. Yes, I'm just wondering whether there's a, like for a person without an internet, uh, what where where could you get a guide or a profile of the people you're suggesting uh, uh, to vote for? And what have you considered uh, aged care places? There's a lot of elderly people there. They, you know, I don't know how how, how you go about. <laughs> Um, Alex, you're raising a really good point here. Not everybody is going to get on the ACL website, acl.org.au. Some might need a little extra help here. Uh, Martin, your thoughts for Alex and for all of those who might be perhaps in aged care or don't have access to the internet? Yeah, there's a couple of things you can do. Um, You can call the uh, office of your local MP and your senators and you can ask them what they for what they believe on a, on some issues. Uh, they will tell you, or they will supply you some information. Um, you're very welcome to do that. That would be good research. Um, also, uh, not today, but just give it a bit of time while we collate what we need. But you can always call the ATL head office six one seven five zero two double zero, and that information is you know you have to look that up anyway uh, but you can always call the ACL office uh, give it a few days um, and uh, and we'll be able to help you with some information as well Alex thank you so much for your call 1-800-316-316 let's take another call Luciana is in Kings Park in Melbourne hello Luciana good morning need to be quick Luciana what are your thoughts well First of all, uh, I was talking to another lady the other day and uh, she was wondering the same how to vote. And uh, this is what I would really like to know, how to vote. 
uh, how to vote. Well, that'll be everyone's individual decision. Uh, the interesting thing that I'll just move towards just for this couple of minutes here. Uh, thank you, Luciana, and uh, Martin might have an, another thought on that, but uh, it won't be too long. There'll be pre-poll voting open, and uh, so people wanting to know how to vote, uh, you've got to get in quickly, haven't you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and pre-polling is available for people who don't want to go on election day, uh, so long as you've made your decision and done your research. In terms of how to vote, just in a technical sense, um, there is a great video that was actually put out. This is not an endorsement of One Nation per se, but One Nation put out a great video on their YouTube channel on how to vote. I believe we're doing our own as well in due course. But those videos that are available out there that are really short, three or four minutes, that just explain how in terms of how to fill out a ballot, for example, and what your numbers mean, you know, how your preferencing works and all the rest of it. There are a couple of really good ones out there. The other one about One Nation is they want you to vote for the parties in the Senate. I'm telling you, don't do that. Vote for the people. Vote below that big black line. Put the numbers in the boxes next to the individual people's names not the party's names. But with that caveat, the One Nation video is actually one of the best I've seen. Personally make an appointment to talk to my local MP. If you've got an appointment with your MP, what are you going to ask them? I wonder if you've got some insights here for listeners who might be thinking, uh, what should I particularly ask my local MP? Well, yeah, that's a good question, Neil. Uh, And alternatively, you could fire off an email or, or make a phone call to not just your local MP, but but maybe others who are standing for election. Uh, so candidates who might be running in your area, who might be challenging your local MP, or indeed your senators. Uh, and it's a good question. And I, I think something that's really current that they should really have an answer on or should know where they stand uh, in February of this year. So we're just going back, uh, well, just over month, uh, when we had the religious discrimination bill come before the parliament, and sadly, it did not pass the Senate. It did pass the House of Representatives uh, with some troublemaking by some members of the government who decided that they would attach to it this this, uh, extra piece of legislation that would repeal laws that are at a federal level which enable Christian schools to be Christian. In other words, it enables them to employ staff who share their ethos, which is kind of important to a Christian school staying Christian, uh, and that law also enabled them to teach what they believe, especially about contentious issues like LGBT issues. A Christian school will have a different value system on that to the schools in the world at large. This law protected schools from lawsuits, protected schools from being shut down and all the rest of it, And these MPs decided that they'd cause some trouble and try and repeal those laws. And so the whole thing fell in a big heap. That's the long story short. But it's recent history, and it goes to two crucial issues. The first crucial issue is religious freedom, basic religious freedom. Do you protect people of faith? You you know, uh, protecting people of faith from discrimination uh, and basic religious freedom principles. And the other one is Christian schooling. So everyone who is in Parliament at the moment should have an opinion about these matters because they've just been in Parliament and they're a good litmus test to find out where an MP stands. And also people who are running for Parliament should have a view. But I just want to make this point. Don't ask a general question. Don't say to them, 
do you support religious freedom? They are all going to say yes, <laughs> because it's the detail that matters. And also don't say to them, do you support Christian schools? They're all going to say yes. Again, it's the detail that matters. You've got to be specific. So, for example, you should say, did you support the religious discrimination bill? They know exactly what you're talking about. It was just in the parliament. And they either supported it or they didn't. That's a really good and direct question to ask. Or you might say, just use an example, say, did you support Israel Flau's right to say what he said or to speak about his faith being fired? Very. They can't wriggle out of that. It's not general. Uh, they're not just going to run rings around you. They have to answer that question. Uh, or indeed, on the Christian schooling front, don't just say, do you support Christian, Christian schools? You might say, do you support the right of Christian schools to select Christian staff? That's a very direct question and an important one. And the MP will know what they think about that issue. Uh, or do you support the right of Christian schools to teach their convictions, but go even more specific, say to teach their convictions on issues of gender and sexuality? Um, Ask those really pointy, direct questions. And here's the thing. If you get a non-answer, <laughs> you know why that is. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, you will know based on what they say, whether or not they're on side with any of this stuff. So I just encourage those very specific questions. And those are the two presenting issues this very year, uh, which do help you to sift the wheat from the chaff. 1-800-316-316 you might like to have your own say you might have a question or a comment let's take some calls and uh, we'll see if we can get through some quickly Simon is in Queensland Simon thanks for waiting patiently that's right no problem what are your thoughts oh, look it was just a follow up on what Martin was saying earlier about preferential voting look I fully agree with what he was saying um, I will be voting for um, all the minor parties first and putting the majors last um, as the Topher Fields video with the marbles in it. Um, it. It wasn't, but it just sounded a little bit discouraging that we'll, we'd never change anything, even if we tried. I, I think that we've got to try to change things if we possibly can. And the worst thing that would happen by voting all the minor parties first would be that we'd still end up with um, coalition or Labour. Simon, good thoughts there. And just a reminder, isn't it, that if we're not so familiar with the preferential voting system, there's a little bit of education that needs to happen so that we're confident that when we use our preferential vote that we're actually getting good value for it. Martin, a quick response for Simon. Yeah, look, I don't oppose anything that Simon just said. Um, I'm not saying, you know, don't put minor parties first. Uh, I'm just saying bear in mind that even the order on which Liberal and Labor appear in your ballot will matter. Um, however, let me make this qualification. I would say don't just put minor party first because you want to vote for a minor party. The issue there is it goes against my principle at the start, which is I said vote for people, not parties. And there's a lot of people out there saying, I'm never voting majors again. Well, hang on, just get rid of the party mindset for a second. You need to look at who's on your ballot. Because I would, be, I would call it a massive mistake to put a minor party vote ahead of, say, a solid Christian candidate from one of the major parties, because they do need our support, and they actually do need to be empowered with your support to do more within their party. So I'm absolutely fine with minor party votes, but not at the expense of good sitting members where those sitting members exist. 
Otherwise, I sort of do feel a bit like we'll go your hardest. Uh, and also, you know, it, it's a bit different in the Senate where you can have a lot more control, a lot more impact with minor parties. And personally, I'm kind of fine with the idea that maybe there'll be so many minor parties in the Senate after this election that whoever's in government will find it difficult to pass legislation. I'm kind of okay with that outcome because, you know, it just puts a check and a balance on the government. So I'm not against it. I'm just saying just consider your circumstances. Simon, thanks so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Mike is in Appen in New South Wales. Hi, Mike. Welcome. G'day. How are you going? Good, Mike. Need to be quick. What are your thoughts? Yes. Yeah, okay. What, what I, I don't know whether this was suggested while I was on hold, but uh, uh, with regards to um, having um, a, a list, for example, of all the, the politicians uh, that, that um, we could vote for, um, even ones that maybe not could be, may, may not be Christians, but but uh, uh, you know, good, you know, standing for, for good policy, uh, as Martin Niles was saying, uh, somewhere so that we can at least. Um, you know, channel the vote, the Christian vote, and and make make our voices count. Uh, as Martin was suggesting, there's a lot of Christians out there in politics, and I and I had no idea to the extent that he, he was suggesting. Now, I, I believe there's a lot of Christians in the country uh, that would like to do good, but uh, we don't know where where to put our vote. Uh, and so, if there's a um, some kind of a website that we can have uh, with with a list of all the all the names that, that uh, you know a Christian endorsed, you know, or ACL endorsed, or Mike, you're making a great point here, and just reflecting back to the last South Australian state election, uh, the ACL had a wonderful, simple way of looking at every candidate with a red cross or a green tick, depending on how they had voted on some pro-life issues. Uh, Martin, your thoughts for Mike here, because uh, he's reflecting something, no doubt, widely across the Christian community. Well, how can we tell the difference? Yeah, no, it's a really good good uh, point that Mike has raised. And all I would say to people is just, just follow ACL at the moment, particularly at this time, and that information is coming out. In terms of yeah, there are a very robust questionnaire which addresses the sorts of things I was just talking about with Christian schooling, religious freedom and stuff like that, and we will put the candidates' answers to that questionnaire online wherever, wherever they come through. So that will be quite a, a solid resource. Uh, that people can refer to, and that's uh, forthcoming very soon. Uh, there's a couple of other things that we'll be doing. We'll be doing if you follow us. One is that I'm interviewing some senators. Uh, and putting out the interviews where I go through all of these issues with them uh, and people can see uh, where they stand on these stuff, on, on, on these sorts of issues, Christian issues. Uh, another thing is if you're on our social media, uh, we will be putting up examples of the literature and the campaign materials that we're distributing in key seats around the country that will you know, help you understand again where the candidates stand on these matters. Just we're slightly limited. I can't sit here and say, vote one this person, vote one that person, or ACL officially endorses this candidate. We can't, we can't speak like that because there are laws which make that uh, impossible for us to do. However, what we can do is I can say, like I said before, well, you know, Senator Zed Seselja, for example, uh, he's a guy who stood firm on same-sex marriage, resisted euthanasia and stood up for religious freedom. I can tell you about their record and then you just join the dots. It's not so hard. Uh, and so the information we put out will be information that tells you about the record, 
uh, and the values of all of these MPs and senators, and it should be very helpful. So I just say follow what we're doing closely, especially over the next four to six week period. This material is going to start as of today, rolling out, and uh, you should get really helpful stuff. Mike, thanks so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. Let's take another one. Bob is in Scarborough in Queensland. Hello, Bob. Welcome. Good. Uh, is it morning? Still it's morning. It's still morning, still Bob. Morning. Yep. Hey, what are your thoughts? Um, with with um, voting for the for the um, candidate, each election, um, depend, not depending on the party, but depending on their preferences, I find that the major parties they'll make they'll force their members to vote party lines, which is not very helpful anyway. Uh, you know, you yeah. might want to vote one way, and the party tells him, "No, you got to vote the other way; otherwise, we'll kick you out of the party." And I, and I feel that a lot of these politicians have made a life out of being a politician, and they're too scared to lose their job to stand up for what they truly believe. You're raising an important point here, Bob, mm. because if you want to bring about change, it's going to uh, involve who is contributing to making policy and uh, who you've elected is going to be important when it comes to that and ultimately what the party will stand for. Martin, your thoughts for Bob? Yeah, it's a really good point that Bob raises. Um, And it's important. um, The political process has several points in it where people can exert influence. Uh, And one of them is at the ballot box for sure. Uh, But what you see what you see publicly is all the politicians walk into that parliament chamber uh, and they, they, they sit on one side or they sit on the other side to vote. Uh, and you often see that one party will sit on one side and, and there will be no one breaking rank and one party will sit on the other side and there'll be no one breaking rank. And you can throw your hands up and say, what's the point? They all do what they're told. But here's the important thing. Right before that vote, they were in a room in that Parliament House called the Party Room, where they all sit around, every single one of them, in chairs, and one by one they get up to put their position and say, this is how we should vote on this bill, because... And they will explain. And then they'll take questions and they'll sit down. And then the next person will get up. And it's interesting. Sometimes, you know, let's say that this is a policy about funding some, um, you know, sex education program for a primary school, you know, which, which is really problematic. You want good, solid people standing up in that party room and saying, come on, guys, what are you doing? Uh, this is wrong for these reasons. Also, by the way, the ACL have done some polling for me and they've shown that the public doesn't want it. And here's my case as to why we should oppose this. You want that debate to be happening in that party room. So it's important that the people who are elected are the kinds of people who will walk into their parties and who will fly the flag and fight for what is good and true and right. So that's why I say vote for people, not parties, because you don't just want animals. You want the people that are going to go in there and they're going to make a difference. Uh, And that's a very real process, what I just described. And it's very, very influential. Uh, Hence the people, not parties uh, line that I've taken. Bob, thanks so much for your call and uh, time running short. Uh, I want to come back to this 
biggest ever information campaign that you're planning with the Australian Christian Lobby. Uh, You've got a war chest and uh, you want to see that war chest increase. Uh, The opportunity there for listeners today uh, to be contributors to that. And uh, you've got a huge membership now, huge membership base that is supporting uh, the ideals of the Australian Christian Lobby, uh, not being partisan, but looking at candidates as individuals. But you're wanting to get the words out beyond the Christian community only, Martin, and you want to be able to reach into mainstream Australia and let mainstream Australia that in some ways has been blocked from hearing a Christian view, you want them to hear Christian views in this campaign. Yeah, exactly, uh, Neil. And so what we are doing is we're employing all of the usual technologies that you would normally see uh, used by the major political parties Um, That goes from really simple stuff like volunteers putting pieces of paper in letterboxes all the way up to billboards and digital marketing, which is quite can be quite sophisticated in the way it does targeting online uh, and also phone calling technology and things like that. Uh, And this is going right out to the public at large. So, for example, if we decide that we're going to look, you know, we're going to we're actually going to focus in pretty sharply on some key areas where there's a particular story to tell. For example, Bridget Archer is the member for BATS in Tasmania. She's a member of the coalition government. The problem is that Bridget Archer not only voted to delete all the laws that allow Christian schools to be Christian, but she also voted against the religious discrimination bill. Now, we need to tell people that she did that because they're not otherwise going to find out. And there's lots of parents in her electorate who send their children to non-government schools. And so every home in BATS will receive multiple flyers you know, the vast majority of people in Bass will be getting the phone calls and they'll be getting information coming through. Uh, when they go on Facebook, because they live in Bass, they're going to see this message on their Facebook page that's actually served up to them. Or when they go to the Australian.com.au or news.com.au or the Guardian.com.au, there's going to be an advertising thing all around the page that says, you know, did you know that this is what Bridget did? We're informing them. Uh, and there'll be billboards and there might be core flutes. Uh, and those people in that electorate are be fully informed uh, of what Bridget Archer's record is on these matters. And a minority of those people are really going to care. A minority of them are going to go, that stinks. I can't believe she did that. And she shouldn't be doing that because she's with the Liberal Party and they believe in liberal values, which include these freedoms that we're supposed to have. And that minority will be influenced in their vote. And here's the thing. It is such a marginal seat. It's just, you know, it's like there's nothing in it. Uh, She will lose if 100 people change their vote kind of thing. uh, And that minority could change the outcome. Now, if that happens in several places around the country, that has a seismic impact on the way the government thinks about these issues in the next term of parliament. And I do mean a seismic impact. Um, so that's what we're doing. Uh, it's a sophisticated but it's a process, but it's what we need to do uh, in this day and age to elevate issues that are otherwise pushed to the side, but also to hold politicians to account for the way they treat 
these sorts of policies, which not only matter to the Christian community, but matter to the nation at large, I think, in a very big way. I mean, I went to a Christian school, uh, and there were plenty of people at my Christian school who weren't Christians when they got there, but they were Christians when they left, you know? This is an incredible uh, opportunity for people to encounter Jesus, to encounter the gospel. It's an incredible opportunity to give kids a safe haven from so much of the toxic ideologies that are in government schools. You know, whatever it takes to protect them, let's do it. Um, This is important stuff. And to think that just earlier this year, uh, we came within hours of losing Christian schooling in Australia uh, because of that uh, religious discrimination bill. Uh, That that ought to be something that disturbs us all. Hey, there's uh, dollars to to raise. Uh, You're looking uh, to build that million-dollar war chest. Some will will be saying a million dollars doesn't go far these days. Uh, Just compare that to what Clive Palmer is spending on his campaign. Uh, give you an idea that uh, perhaps there needs to be a real stretch here uh, for Christian believers to support what could be a very powerful and significant campaign. There's also the standing army. You've got something like 7,500 volunteers uh, all ready to go in their electorates. Is there time right now, Martin, for extra people to add their name to the list? Uh, Is it too late? There sure is, Neil, and our volunteers are a big part of the reason why we can do this a little more cheaply than others, because people, Christians, who are prepared prepared to stand up uh, and be activists, you know, people hate that word, but that's what they are. They're activated, uh, and they're fueled by their faith, uh, and they do great work. We have quite a um, well-developed volunteer network, um, which is well-organized and well-run, and yet, uh, of course, if you want to join that volunteer army and contribute uh, to what is a really, you know, they're a great group of people. It's very exciting. Uh, they, they do amazing work. They're wonderful Christian folk. If you want to connect with them all and get involved, of course you can. ACL.org.au. You'll see the link. Otherwise, just put slash volunteer on the end of that URL and you'll get to the volunteer page. Definitely love your support. Well, you'll be able to follow along what's happening, these developments, during the election campaign. It's not too long uh, that you can't really make the most of every opportunity, but my encouragement is to visit acl.org.au. That's the website of the Australian Christian Lobby, acl.org.au. And uh, just to say, there's all sorts of uh, opportunities, some meet-the-candidate forums that are going on. There's one scheduled on the Gold Coast in Queensland tonight, and uh, you already went through a venue upgrade because it got sold out, and now it's sold out in the larger venue as well. Uh, there's any any thoughts for, for uh, listeners here, just quickly as we close. Uh, Martin, the thoughts that listeners might participate in these meet-the-candidate forums. Well, yeah, this is another thing that's going on, which I didn't mention earlier, that people can take advantage of. We are running a number of forums across the country where the local MPs and senators are coming in to take questions and to speak. Uh, Look, we we do get plagued a little bit with activists who want to cause us all kinds of trouble and shut us down and blah, blah. And just to avoid that, uh, which we've become very, very good at doing, I have to tell you, uh, and making these events, you know, safe and all the rest of it. But just to avoid that, uh, we, we don't blast the details too publicly. So just say to people, look, sign up to the mailing list if you haven't already so you can get that notification. Because if there's one in your area, our system knows that, that you're in the, that area and it'll send you a message to say this forum is on, this is where it is. Very exciting, Neil, you mentioned that it's sold out. I mean, it's a venue for 800-odd people uh, to come and see their local uh, Senate candidates. Um, so... 
quite impressive. There's obviously huge interest out there, uh, and it's exciting. So people can get involved in that. Just make sure you're signed up, because we're not going to blast too widely those details, just just to be on the safe side. ACL.org.au, Martin Isles. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with us today on 2020. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.